going to finish my dang on analytics store. You got to go to bed or something. You go get any computer and learn what the best shots are. They'll tell you a post up score shot in basketball. Welcome to this week's episode of Sports on Paper podcast. Um, Today, I will have my friend Kanad with me. Um, We went to school at Berkeley together. Go Bears. Go Bears, indeed. Um, And we are going to talk about a uh, research paper published at Sloan, the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference in 2018. Um, And at least for the first few episodes, that's uh, probably going to be the format. I'll get someone on. We'll talk about a paper in varying levels of depth. So, Kanad, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, I'm Kanad. Uh, as Kenzie mentioned, I went to Berkeley. Um, I'm originally from Ohio, so I grew up a Buckeyes fan and also a Cavs fan uh, through both the pre-LeBron, LeBron, LeBron leaves, LeBron comes back, LeBron leaves again, the whole shebang. Um so at Berkeley, I did some research on um, reinforcement learning, um, and this paper uh, is a or claims to be a reinforcement learning paper. So um, definitely something that we'll be talking about when we go through this. Um, and I by no means claim to be an expert on RL; just I have some familiarity with it. Um, yeah, uh, I'm super excited to be on this podcast. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Um, so the paper is called. Replaying the NBA. Um, it was written by Nathan Sandholtz and Luke Bourne. Um, many of you may be familiar with Luke Bourne. He is a very prolific author in uh, sports analytics. Um, he's published a lot of selling papers. So we'll put the link to the paper uh, in the show notes. Uh, so basically <clears throat> what this paper is about is they try to simulate seasons of the NBA to uh, answer hypothetical questions about shot selection. So, for example, they could answer, what would the Cavs' offensive efficiency be if they took 20% fewer mid-range shots when the shot clock was greater than 10 seconds? Um, So they model model this through a stochastic process, um, and they're highlighting that they have non-stationary transition probabilities. So basically, the transitions are different based on the time on the shot clock, which makes sense. The, the closer you are to zero on the shot clock, the more likely you are to shoot. Um, so, yeah, do, do you want to go get, get into uh, yeah, yeah. meat so of this? Yeah, so I think maybe um, one thing that we could talk about to start with is kind of going over um, what what they... So they're using uh, what we call a Markov decision process, or an MVP. Um, and an MVP is essentially um, a, re- a way to represent a series of transitions between states um, representing some sort of uh, process over a period of time. Um, so basically you have a world which is encoded by a state and the state is supposed to capture all of the information you need about the world um, to be able to uh, like fully reconstruct all the information that you want. Um, and then states evolve through some probabilistic transitions. So you'll you'll have some sort of probability distribution that dictates how one state will change to the next state to the next state. Um, and the key here is that given a specific state, 
you'd have all the information that you need to be able to move to the next state. There's, you don't need any previous information from previous states. You only need um, the information of the state at the current time. Now, an agent can influence the world through actions. So an agent is anyone who's able to interact with the world, whether in this case, the agents are, um, I, I guess they'd be the players. Yeah. So um, the idea is that um, given a state and then the action of an agent, uh, you can you can completely um, basically model how what what the state of the world in the next time step is going to be, um, and that's that's the I guess very like high level overview of what an MDP is. Um, so maybe just going over what their MDP. So so what, what they essentially try to do is they try to take a basketball game and fit an MDP to yeah um, to like a the, the process of a shot clock. Right. So, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about like the data they use because I think that's important. Um, so they use like tracking data, optical tracking data. It um, was provided to them by SportView. Um, so the, the leagues and the team get it through a different vendor called Second Spectrum. Um, but basically, they the, these vendors capture the game at twenty five frames per second. They capture the X Y location of all ten players and um, the X Y Z of the ball. So it's super granular, but that's also a ton of data for, for every game, right? Mm-hmm. 25 frames per second is pretty crazy. Um, so they basically slice the data to only look at events. So like if uh, LeBron is just holding the ball, it might be 25 frames, for example. Um, but they'll only have one row of data for every time he does something with the ball. So every time he dribbles it. Um, that's a new row of data generated mm. every time he passes it that's a new row so so basically it'll be like something like lebron dribble lebron dribble lebron dribble lebron pass yeah Kyrie dribble yeah Kyrie, Kyrie dribble exactly yeah exactly so that that cuts down the size of the data by a lot and it actually just keeps everything um that is relevant to this problem that so, makes sense yeah. and and uh excuse the Cavs 2017 references because <laughs> i will be forever living in that world yeah there's, there's not really a sports podcast yeah. you know canad's canad's uh basketball Fandom stopped after LeBron left. No, not really, but anyway. Um, uh, we'll go Cavs themed here. Uh, yeah. So, so, um, well, so I guess this, this kind of, this kind of um, sets up how uh, it, it sets up naturally for um, designing this as a, like, like a, a transition, um, something to encode the transitions, because essentially what they've done is they've encapsulated some sort of state which is, um, as I described, the identity of the ball carrier, uh, where in the court he is. So um, they use their XY position to basically uh, segment them into uh, regions. So I believe they have like past, uh, like they have the rim, they have the corner three, they have the arc three, the paint and the mid range as regions of the court. And also like past, uh, I guess, the arc three. Yeah, just um, everywhere else. In the court, everywhere else in the yeah. court, yeah. So basically based on a team's position, um, based on the players, like X, Y position, they uh, categorize them into an, a region. So again, identity of the ball carrier, its position on the court, and an indicator variable, so like a one or a zero, depending on if the defense is pressuring the player or not. So you have this um, kind of tuple of information that encodes uh, what the state is currently. And and um, so actually, one one point to bring up here is that they don't actually do anything to encode where anyone else on the court is mm-hmm. this is a player centric um this, this entire thing is player centric yeah it, it uh only cares about the 
the ball handler basically yeah, yeah. interesting yeah. so so that that's that's um so it, they're kind of what they're doing is they're they're limiting their worldview to just the player right right so you could probably make this even more complicated by having the state include the positions of all the other players and all that other stuff, but there may not be enough data to actually model something like that. Right. So, so, so like, let, let's just think about how big this state space is, right? So every, every team has its own state space because right. every team later has its own set of transition probabilities. So, like, uh, the we have the identity of ball carrier. So assume 15 players on each roster, right? Yeah. There's six court regions, and then there's zero or one for if there's pressure. So what... Uh, two times six times 15 yeah that's uh 180 yes 180 yeah uh, yeah so double check the math there. yeah there's, there's <laughs> what 180 possible states right yeah. i mean i don't know if that's like a lot or not but uh um, it's it's not too i don't think it's too big in terms of well it, there are there are people solve and well people solve rl problems with much much larger states mm-hmm. and the thing about this state is that it's it's purely categorical mm-hmm. um so people solve rl problems with continuous states mm-hmm. states which okay. are essentially infinite right right um so yeah okay yeah. so it's very feasible that you can add uh you know some information about exactly yeah. Okay. yeah and and uh again um this is so what they're essentially doing is that the time horizon for these mdps um are over the course of one possession of a of a play right, right. so so it uh, the time at t0 is um is like when the team gets the ball like when the possession starts right, right? after a defensive rebound after or defensive after rebound. a make by the other team yeah. yeah and then the it goes until either a shot is taken or sorry a shot yeah a shot is taken mm-hmm. or uh they're like turnover mm-hmm. or um the shot clock ex- like expires yeah which so, like, turnover too, yeah. i guess yeah so so um given that the pl- uh, agents basically have an action at each time step, which is either to take the shot or not take the shot, mm-hmm. right? Um, and kind of in in the RL context, um, there this is a this is a probability. So they're basically encoding this as a probability distribution. So at given a specific state and at a specific time, there is some probability that you take a shot or you don't take a shot. Mm-hmm. Now the yeah so. Um, the kind of crux of this paper, this whole thing that they're dealing with is um, what they call non-stationarity. So typically a Markov chain uh, follows stationarity, which basically means that over the course of time, your transition probabilities don't change. Yeah. So transition probabilities, probabilities meaning going from one state to another. Exactly. So going from like LeBron at the rim with a defender around him, right? Yeah. To like Kyrie in the corner. Yeah that probability the transitioning from that first state to the second state is like the same regardless of how much time is on the yes. shot so for example that's that's if it's stationary that is a that is a that is cons- so markov chains that do that are stationary um or that are the, the i think the other word is time the time homogeneous mm-hmm. over right. over the course of time they will so, follow yeah. the same transitions so their claim here is that over the course of time um our transition probabilities are inherently going to change, and um, and what this essentially means is that they take this um, this representation of given a specific state, what are the possible next states that we could go in, and they have a different slice for every two seconds on the shot clock, right? Mm-hmm. So to put that more concrete, right? You we have twelve different transition matrices. Yes. So 
Yes. They call it a tensor. A tensor is just an n-dimensional, n-dimensional matrix. higher dimensional matrix. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So you can literally, if you imagine like a matrix as like a sheet of paper, two D, yeah, a two D sheet of paper, stack you stack of... twelve papers on top of each other. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and when we say when we say matrix here, essentially what it is is um, each row of the matrix um, is is a um, probability distribution over future states. So what will essentially happen is your your matrix is a 180 by 180 matrix mm-hmm. and your state is a vector where all of it's, it's all zeros except for a one, which indicates which state it's in. Mm-hmm. And the row represents like, okay, um, if I'm in this state, then my next state follows this probability distribution. Mm-hmm. So each of the rows sum to one. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, but so you can imagine that you have these 180 by 180 net um, matrices and there are 12 of them stacked. Uh, one on top of each other. Yeah. So, so the paper actually is a good diagram if yeah. you want to look at that at some point. Exactly. But, yeah. Um, I think we described that pretty well. So, so how how are the uh, transition probabilities actually like determined? Right. Like, what are the actual values? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, um, the the actual values come from like empirical data, right? Exactly. So yeah. we have, say, last season's data as, as our sample, right? Or, or two seasons. I, I don't know how much the paper uses, but some amount of time. They they basically count how many times they're in each state and, and go to a different state. Exactly, and yeah. So the the, the probabilities are, are, are empirical, basically. Yeah. They, they, count, they come from tabulating the given data. And yeah. to be clear, so each team has its own transition tensor. Yes, because yes. um, I guess teams play differently. That makes yeah. sense to me. Um, so th- they have a small adjustment for, you know, like low minutes players screw up every stat. Yeah. So so they do some sort of smoothing with like a league-wide average per mm-hmm. position, right. which I, I think is pretty, like this this makes this makes sense. Like I think it's pretty reasonable representation. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, so, so, so the concept of non-stationarity, so non-stationarity and time, isn't something I've seen a lot of in RL. There's there's non-stationarity with respect to policy, and we'll get we'll talk about that a little later. But non-stationarity with respect to time, um, this idea of making it a tensor. Essentially, what you what you and I, we won't delve into the details too much. But essentially, you're putting the time as part of the state. So the time on the shot clock is is um, is now cons- is essentially a variable in the state. And mm-hmm. we, let's not get into too much of the details in there. But um, basically. Um, this allows you to uh, represent um, the entire sequence of a possession as a Markov chain. Is there is there a claim? Even though you are changing your transition probabilities over the course of the possession, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, your your for a given time your possession your um, transition probabilities are constant, uh, it still functions as a Markov chain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 So it's 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 a cool representation. Um I, I really like it actually. Um there there are some things um that we should note. Um so they call it um or uh, we can start talking about the RL stuff now. Is there Well, I, I guess to expand on the representation of mm-hmm. the the transition tensor, transition yeah. Yeah, yeah, matrix yeah, yeah. tensor or whatever. Yeah. Like they've basically discretized time, right? Like the yes. the paper analogy I gave, they stack 12 papers on yes. top of each other. And like, I guess there's two seconds of space in between each yeah, paper, right? Yeah, yeah, you want yeah. to visualize time as like, you know, some physical space. Yeah. But um, obviously, like you're chunking the, the data in some way still 
by time and yeah that always feels kind of weird to me right like you're not getting as granular as you can get because exactly yeah. a real world system you know time is time is continuous it's weird to have discrete um like discretized time so, yeah like there's other ways to represent this stuff for sure yeah so uh, so one thing that's common in rl is to like so like this this sort of stuff comes up a lot in rl because you essentially want um an environment in which to learn a policy in and so a lot of times with very, very complex environments, you can't represent it as a, as a matrix. For example, let's say you're trying to um, learn to play StarCraft, right? Which is so infinitely complicated, it's not going to fit in one matrix. So they literally, they, they use a simulator, right? That's, that's essentially um, how that works. And um, there, even though there's no like concrete representation of an MDP here, the, the simulator is a suit, like basically functions like an MDP. And given an uh, an agent's uh, action, it can go to a next it'll state. go to a next state, it. right? Yeah. And so what what could be interesting here is that they have this they've essentially modeled how uh, the game will progress. Um, maybe they could try this in like NBA two K nineteen or something like that, mm-hmm. and see how how a simulation in that compares to what their real world simulator is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's just an idea, but uh, kind of moving. Uh, yeah, so. I don't know if you have any other thoughts. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you gave the StarCraft example, yeah, which is exactly. like a very complicated game. I mean, basketball itself is complicated. Yeah. This paper is boiled down the state into exactly. like They've, 180 possible 180 states. 180 possible states, like, right. There's yeah. way more, right? Yeah. They're saying that a player in either corner is like the same, right? Or yeah. like a player in either block is the same. You know, exactly. some players only post up on one side. That stuff is not going to be captured. Yeah. Like and, and again, it, it all depends on what they're trying to measure here. They're mm-hmm. trying to look at shot, ultimately about shot policy, right? Right. So and maybe so it doesn't matter. That maybe much. it doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter a whole lot in this respect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then another thing that I really wanted to uh, touch on is that is this really Markovian? Like, like, um, essentially, this the Markov the Markov property with this is saying that um, past states, no matter what they were. Should not have an impact on what your future state is. Right. That's that's Markovian. That's, that's Markovian. Like the, yeah, yeah. That's what what it means to be Markovian. So like everything that you need to know about what's going to happen in the future should be encoded in what the current state is now, right? So um, the, like yeah, they're including time, but say like a player like dribbles for the first ten seconds, does that lead to a different transition matrix than say if that player like if the team was like passing the ball around for the first ten seconds? Mm-hmm. And it's not entirely clear to me that, oh, so I don't think this is encoded mm-hmm. in, in, not. in this representation, but it's not entirely clear to me that it matters. Mm-hmm. Um, like we'll get into like their simulation and then talking about how uh, they ended up matching some um, like empirical counts. Um, but it, it doesn't, it, it may lead itself to sort of a different representation than um really modeling how a team may or how a player may actually play mm-hmm. at that time because you may just get like a sort of general behavior given a certain time in a certain state mm-hmm. you're not going to necessarily get like realistic plays to come out of this. right and we'll, we'll we'll touch on that later again but i agree so like it's probably not markovian and yeah that... it's almost certainly not markovian yeah. or like basketball and like the actual transition probably are probably not markovian right Right. But, what you're doing before this current state definitely affects what you do. After. Exactly. So exactly. Um, that being said, this is like a reasonable yeah way to model it. it, like, it like so, okay. So another like simple example that I think people understand well is like each shot. Yeah. Is typically modeled as a IID. Yeah. Exactly. Independent yeah. 
it was, was uh, um, independently it, identically yeah, distributed. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So okay. shots are modeled as that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in reality, like they definitely are not, right? Right, um, exactly. But yeah. it's a reasonable approximation. It, it's really hard to know every player's like deviation from IIT. Exactly, so, yeah. So that's fine. Um, yeah. Um, and, and I guess, so again, and they are, their representation here is twofold. Um, essentially what they're saying is that for a given state, they have two tensors. They have a shot policy tensor and a transition tensor, mm-hmm. right? So the, the shot policy tensor, uh, like I think they make it sound a little more complicated than it actually is. <laughs> it's basically just given a state, there's they're some... Like, they're saying like column space, row space. Yeah, yeah. No, I, linear I, algebra stuff. I, 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 kind of, they, maybe maybe we're misunderstanding it, but yeah. from what I got, it was literally like given a state, there's uh-huh. some probability they shoot and some probability they don't shoot. Right. And then if they don't shoot, then you follow this transition matrix, mm-hmm. the 180 by 180 matrix, mm-hmm. to derive your next state, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So yep. if you shoot, then the play is over, right? right? And you get some expected, you get some reward, right. which is either two, a three, two, or zero, right? Well, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Or... They have a shot model. They have a, they have a shot model. Okay, right. so it's a little more complicated than that. But um, so you're you're rewarded by like the expected expected points, points yeah. per shot. Yeah. Okay, and so we'll get into shot model. Yeah, but, yes. but but point being with this with the shot policy tensor is it's it's literally like at a certain time there's some probability that I shoot and there's some probability that I don't. Now um, coming back to RL a little bit, um, they've they've tried to set this up like an RL problem. Essentially, they've defined an MDP. And typically in an RL problem, you define an MDP and then you define a reward. And then you say that we're trying to learn a policy that maximizes the reward. Mm -hmm. And a policy is essentially exactly what their shot policy tensor is, is a mapping from states to actions. Um, And it can be probabilistic, can be represented by a neural network. Like in RL, there's all sorts of different representations for Mm -hmm. a policy. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've defined this as a policy um, that given a certain state, we want to represent um, some probability of taking an action. Mm Um, and now we'll get into why this isn't ex- like their way of determining the policy isn't exactly RL. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep just think about this policy tensor as basically a function from state to probability of taking a shot. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, the, the paper doesn't talk about like what is the optimal like strategy for yes for yes. shooting or like in which states should you shoot that kind yeah, of stuff yeah it doesn't try to find like the there's no learning right you're not yeah. you're not trying to find the, yeah. the, the the best policy exactly so so essentially in rl the the crux is that you're learning a po- the reason why it's called reinforced learning is that given some sort of expectation of like reward a future reward you pick up you pick and you pick actions or you tend towards actions that maximize your reward. Mm-hmm. But in this case, what they're doing is they're empirically fitting this policy to existing data, mm-hmm. right? They're not maximizing a reward in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, they're essentially saying, okay, this is how the player has shot given these states in the past. Um, and so this is then the um, policy that they're going by. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's, just, yeah, there's essentially no learning aspect to right. it, which is why I'm hesitant to call it R. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um... But like once again, in the abstract, they talk about them using like this MDP yeah. to provide like simulations of season where you can like answer hypothetical questions, right? Yeah, and so exactly. Yeah, this setup still makes sense in that 
in that case, right? They're yes, mostly. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about that too. But basically, they want to say, "Let's manually change the policy to something yeah. else. Let's derive some insights exactly because we change exactly. this race right? to like some basketball specific insights. If we take less mid range shots early in the shot clock, yeah, what is going to happen? Exactly. Which teams are going to benefit the most? Yeah, those are the questions. So, actually. so in, in a sense, it like their their question are like. It is a policy because they can tweak how their policy affects the transition. They'll be like, okay, we're going to take less mid-range shots. And that is a different policy. And so they can operate that policy on their MVP and see how it performs. Mm -hmm. But they are not, strictly speaking, learning a policy. Right. They are fitting it and then modifying it. Okay, cool. Um, and just maybe a quick note if you want to comment mm -hmm. on the, the shot model. Yeah, yeah. So the shot model is when the action of a shot is taken. Mm -hmm. um, what is like the reward right yes, and exactly. so the easiest thing you could do is literally just use well oh, well no so it's simulation right so you don't know if the shot went in or you not. don't know the shot went yeah. in. yeah so exactly yeah they, they build a model given the state basically mm -hmm. if the shot's going to go in and they they call their model a bayesian logistic regression with hierarchical prior based on k means which sounds really fancy but basically what it is is um they cluster players based on like shooting attributes into I think they did eight clusters. Yeah. And and came in so like, you know, all the good shooters, Steph, Corver, whatever, are gonna be grouped in grouped in one cluster. And um if you have like a, another player who's in that cluster who has like a lower sample, their their like shooting percentage is going to be regressed toward the good shooters right. we think based on other attributes that they're a good shooter right yeah um so like this model would take into account are you pressured where on the court you are you know shot angle um stuff like that and yeah you, and you end up getting a probability of the shot going in or not is is it a probability oh yeah it's, it's a probability yeah. right yeah you get yeah. A probability if the shot goes in or mm -hmm. not and then they multiply by the point value that the shot right. was so true. Yeah. to get like a expected return for the exactly. shot. Right? So a, a big problem with this is actually they they uh, filter out offensive rebounds and fouls from this uh, right. this this entire problem actually because yeah offensive rebounds would make this thing I think way harder to model. Maybe. Yes. Well, yeah, that could be interesting. I don't well, know because how... there would be multiple shots per possession, mm -hmm. and actually, the shot clock would actually reset. reset. Yeah. Do, do you uh, know if their possessions counted when or like did they only take possessions where you inbounded the ball or like it was a turnover? Did they take possessions that started with an offensive rebound? I'm sure they did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's weird, right? Like, first of all, getting rid of fouls. <coughs> fouls. Yeah. Fouls is that's. It's yeah. weird because like you're really decreasing. If you look at the paper, the point values, points per shot values of shots at the rim are just like hilariously low because right? oh, yeah. like yeah contested yeah, yeah, shots yeah. at the rim where you're not fouled you're not making like that many yeah part of being efficient at the rim is, is you're just getting fouled like 40 percent yeah. of the time or whatever right um so that's kind of a weird weird thing yeah. and honestly i don't think it would have been that hard to incorporate right you just have what is the probability of a player getting fouled when they're exactly in in the court region yeah and then you like you can also incorporate like free throw percentage exactly moment, you right? just use their career free yeah. throw percentage nothing yeah, so fancy yeah. I, I think this is i think this is like a pretty logical next step mm -hmm. to right. like extension um both offense I, I think offensive rebounds like you said are a little bit more difficult to model mm -hmm. but free throws and uh sorry fouls for sure i think are doable mm -hmm. in, in this framework yeah um yeah. and another like small detail that like probably doesn't matter that much is like 
I, I think the the k-means clustering of the the players into like different shooting clusters is like really awkward it's it's not like we don't have metrics to measure how good of a shooter someone is right it's right. it's it's like the the clusters are this weird proxy of like how good of a shooter you are but we already have like free throw percentage three-point percentage with their data set you could even slice it by like open three-point percentage right if you yeah, wanted to yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. put everyone on a uniform like uh measurement right have you seen have you seen better like i feel yeah, like shot models yeah, yeah. are definitely a yeah thing so like i've built one and i've seen like like when i was with the nets they had one too it's like you don't have to do this weird weird prior like the prior can be just the players past shooting performance okay. right and that that tracks like that has like pretty good performance in yeah terms yeah of definitely yeah, definitely so I, I i don't know maybe this makes things like computationally easier i don't know um okay. slow weird thing yeah yeah, so it's not until, uh, again, like, I think the setup to this point isn't, like, it's not, like, wrong. Mm-hmm. It, like, it, it, in fact, it's it's actually pretty, it's, it's really a pretty actually, good idea, yeah. 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 Like, I, I really, like, the, the, the tensor representation is very, very cool. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's again, I'm a little hesitant to call it RL, though mm-hmm. it is definitely a policy, and it is definitely something where tweaking it, like, like it, it, it's a pretty cool setup of a problem, mm-hmm. I'd say. Yes. Um, but yeah, so then one of the, so basically what they do is they build this representation. They have these tensors, um, which are trained from empirical data, um, and they have the, their shot model, and they simulate it, right? So they, um, and this is where it gets pretty cool. Uh, what they're essentially doing is they want to run uh, like a season of yeah, games, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, they basically roll out a bunch of these, um, like, how did they how do they determine how many uh possessions to have or like how was it a uh like well they said they simulate a season right yeah. oh yeah like how many times do they or like or like what 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 is considered a season in this case uh, i think they just use the actual shot counts right or oh no, well, uh, probably edit this or something let's yeah. see um oh they they specifically so so okay, oh, they use the, the state, yeah. they have initial states. So basically, they right. look at the initial state yeah. of every play a team participated in on offense for oh, a season. Oh, that's cool. And use that to initialize the simulator. So like, yeah, if, if you started a play with like, I don't know, twenty two seconds on the shot clock or something, right? Wait, how can you start a play? Well, okay, maybe they they probably exclude no, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, they no. probably exclude one like the backcourt stuff, right? Sure, sure. Okay, okay maybe. Okay, maybe. you enter the front court with twenty two seconds. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Okay, you enter yeah, the front court. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then, um, so it's like okay. So you, so you say like okay, it starts with LeBron mm-hmm. in the arc, uh, like with twenty two seconds on the shot clock, and then they take all of their plays from that season, mm-hmm. and then they simulate the results how that play. Yeah. Okay, so and and so one of the cool things that they did was, um, they basically said that um, how much time elapses between these events is not something that it can uh, parameterize as a distribu- distribution. Um, and what does that mean? That basically means like, so like in a lot of times in markup chains, you'll have like each transition will take place at some fixed interval, mm-hmm. right? Um, but in this case, like it's not fixed. A, like a player will for example dribble more rapidly than he will like maybe pass or like the amount of time between dribbles is less than say the amount of time between a dribble and a pass but 
more importantly is that you can't that they're basically saying that it's difficult to model how much time there is between these events mm-hmm. as some sort of like distribution right so mm-hmm. it's 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 not following an exponential it's not following um it's not following something that like like fits something easily parameterizable so i mean the problem they're trying to solve is like how much time do you deduct from the shot clock exactly right exactly between transitions yes and um yeah you, you can't just be like oh every transition happens like every one second, one second exactly it's like totally bad yeah. so, so what do they do so so what they do is they empirically sample um from existing events and I'm not sure if they're conditioning, mm-hmm. um, but they say that they're uh, sampling with replacement, which basically means like they have um, like a, a list. huge bank of like h- how many of the, the du- like the duration between events, mm-hmm. and they just like randomly pick them, mm-hmm. and like then they what they do is they basically check this like calibration, and when they run 50, se- 50 seasons uh, across the league, they find that like the number of number of two point shots, number of three point shots, and turnovers matches that of what actually happened mm-hmm. and when i say matches they give some uh like like uh row row values yeah. of like how close they are essentially point being is that they find that these empirical samples are pretty close um to i wouldn't say they're pretty close to the true behavior but they lead to similar aggregate results mm-hmm. as the true behavior right right so yeah it basically nothing like super weird happens like if you were to do something naive if you did a state transition every one second. Yeah, you're that'd, gonna be, that'd some, be whack. You're yeah. going to get some, like your simulation is not going to be representative yes. of what actually happened. Yeah. And it's interesting because like, like it, there, are, there are processes like, for example, you could represent this as the time between plays as an exponential, right? That, that would be like a, they, they have continuous time markup. Yeah, chains. exactly. So that could be some, that could be a representation of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it's not entirely clear that that is the best um basically what they're saying is that they maybe have tried some of these like continuous time markup chain or maybe just like it's an exponential and then whatever happens at the end happens at the end like there's plenty of different ways mm-hmm. to model this mm-hmm. and they chose that empirical empirically simulating the amount of time was mm-hmm. more than sufficient yeah and, and it's actually like it's like this this is kind of like the simplest yeah thing, right? no, it's, and it works. it's brilliant it's so, great yeah, it's, it, it's fantastic it, yeah i will say though and this is kind of keying off the um, non-stationarity thing that we were talking about earlier. Um, so uh, earlier we mentioned that like um, your past actions have some effect on um, what your action is now. For example, if you've been dribbling for 10 seconds, you might not keep dribbling, right? In addition to that, like if I've, if I've just dribbled, then chances are if I'm going to dribble again, then that duration of time is probably pretty small. However, my future transition is not dependent on how much time there was between my past, uh, like between the like last event. Mm-hmm. So you could get this weird case in which, for example, um, you get a dribble and then like half a second later you dribble again, mm-hmm. right? Whereas usually dribbles are only separated by maybe a tenth of a second, mm-hmm. right? Or you could get a pass where you dribble and immediately pass the ball. Right. Right. And so, for example, and basically what I'm trying to say here is... Or like, more extreme, like yeah. you dribble, you hold it for like two seconds, exactly. and you dribble again. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and that like kind of leads me to believe that, again, on aggregate, the simulator works really well. But it's not clear to me that individual plays are going to make a lot of sense from a basketball perspective. Right. Like you may not get necessarily like realistic sounding or very like 
like they're not necessarily good plays. They're mm-hmm. just like on aggregate they match right. what the basketball season right. actually did. So so if you were to like somehow animate the simulator, <laughs> you're gonna get, <laughs> you get some, some really weird really stuff. Really weird shit. Um, yeah. Like yeah, if you if you animated uh yeah, player dribbling and then holding and then dribbling again. Obviously that's not legal in basketball, yeah. but the simulator allows for that kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And which is why um one of the things I've mentioned before is like something like NBA two like if you like we're able to simulate this in two K, right? Like it would be more realistic, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. You'd get more like legitimate sounding plays, mm-hmm. but maybe it wouldn't necessarily match the real NBA season as well. And that could mm-hmm. be something that I think is pretty interesting to explore. As well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but for for the purpose of this paper, yeah. it makes sense that they. I think it's go for pretty awesome trying yeah. to match what actually happened in terms of the play ending, right? Yeah, they're exactly. matching two point shots, three point shots, and turnovers. Yes, so, yes, exactly. Cool. Um, so. Let's see. So they included a couple, like, they call them policy attenuations, which is basically a a manual tweaking of a policy. Mm -hmm. And then they ran simulations to see what the results were. So the first one they did was uh, a 20% reduction in mid-range shots with more than 10 seconds on the shot clock. Yeah. So what would would they do? They would change the shot policy, right? So what they do is they essentially, they re-weight the that specific um like value in the tensor right Mm -hmm. so they'll drop that um they'll drop like let's say you're in that specific um region so Mm -hmm. mid-range j with 10 seconds on the shot clock or more than 10 seconds on the Mm -hmm. shot clock you reduce all of your players um propensities to take shots by Mm -hmm. 20 percent right and you renormalize right so that's the one obviously yeah Yeah. so uh okay that was the first thing they did 20%. 20%. I don't know. Yeah. That seems like a reasonable yeah. potential change. If you change coaches or something, yeah, exactly. they could just say, shoot less mid-range. This is something that might naturally happen. Yeah. Right? The, the second one, they tried something much more extreme, which is a, a 90% reduction in all mid-range shots, regardless of time on the clock. Yeah. And um, and, and that's like, like that, that'd be like someone telling your players, like, don't shoot like mid-range shots. Yeah, like you're, you're going to get a fine. You're going to get a fine. Like, like, just don't take it. Like, like it's it's... Um, and it's it's there the 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 gar- the graphs that they showed were really interesting. Yeah. So essentially, I mean, they had like they basically represented the, the results in two ways. Mm-hmm. So they right. had a. Um, yeah. So you can you can look at the paper kind of to follow along if you're interested, but um, they looked at the difference in expected points per shot and the difference in expected points per 100 plays. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So the difference here is that like. Uh, so we'll look at the first policy, a 20% reduction in, in uh, mid-range shots yeah. greater than 10 seconds on the shot clock. Basically, um, the the altered policy has, for every team, um, greater points per shot. Because you're taking more efficient shots, yes, basically. Yes, essentially, yeah. Yeah, and basically uh, all, all the teams would benefit in terms of shooting efficiency if they did this, right? Yeah, uh, for that specific shot, right? Or is it... No, no, it's no. like for all the shots. For all right? the shots you take right? less bad shots. You take less bad shots, yeah. your efficiency goes up. Yeah. But uh, what you really care about in basketball, right, is like expected points per play, right? Because some yes. plays don't end in a shot. You're going to turn it over. <laughs> if you're mm. avoiding mid-range shots, you might end up with a shot clock turnover. Exactly. You're, you're more likely to end up with a shot clock turnover or a bad pass turnover, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the efficiency in points per play doesn't go up by as much for every team mm-hmm. because – they just end up turning it over more, right? Um, and if you look at, like, difference in expected points per shot, the team that, like, changes the least is 
the Rockets, which is not that surprising because yeah. they, they shoot a lot of threes, right? So them uh, taking, taking less, less mid-range is not yeah. going to affect them that it's, much. It, yeah. Like, they're already taking pretty good shots. Mm-hmm. So if they take less mid-range numbers, like, their shot their like shot value is not going to go up that much because mm-hmm. they don't take that many mid-range numbers. Right, right. But, like, was it the, the, it's the Celtics, right? Mm-hmm. Celtics take apparently a lot of mid-range jumpers. Yeah, this is like 2015, 16 days. Okay, I don't even sure. remember who was on it. Yeah, point, but, but like, but yeah. like the Celtics, the Pacers, the Clippers, the Lakers. So those teams in this situation, they're basically saying that when you reduce the number of mid-range jumpers, um, your you benefit a lot. Mm-hmm. Right, you take a lot more. Your expected points per shot goes way up. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. but um, one of the things that they said that was super interesting is that. Uh, certain teams, um, <coughs> for example, these are the Raptors, I think. Mm-hmm. The Raptors are at the very bottom of the difference in expected points per 100 plays, mm-hmm. uh, which which is basically saying that if the rap the, maybe the the Raptors maybe their three point shooting is bad, mm-hmm. maybe their like rim rim um, mm-hmm. game is bad, maybe their propensity to have lots of turnovers. Mm-hmm. But if they reduce their mid range jumpers by twenty percent, mm-hmm. they actually barely see much of an improvement in mm-hmm. expected points per hundred plays. Right, right, right. So it's it's interesting that like it's not necessarily an obvious case mm-hmm. to improve it. Right. Um, for every single team ever. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so this is cool because since every team has their own transitions. You can see how changing the policy affects different teams differently, exactly. which exactly. Um, is like the cool basketball insight from here. Yeah. Um, and so this is not that extreme. It helps every team. Um, the, the second policy alteration is they ninety uh, percent reduction in mid range shots, and yeah. that's where you get some crazy results. And um, and keep in mind, so one of the things they said is that like we can't like so, so this is this is kind of an interesting point because yeah. they, they let's talk about the results okay, sure. and we'll no, get we to can, like can, the more yeah. meta point but sure, sure, yeah. basically every team gets way more efficient mm-hmm. when you reduce your mid-range shot volume by uh 90 percent. right that's yeah. that's way more efficient per shot that's obvious mm-hmm. yeah but actually every team gets worse in expected points per 100 plays yes. because like they, they get like significantly worse. Yes. Like we're talking like three like, points per hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Like let like worse off like three, two to three points per hundred plays. That's, yeah. that's really, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a lot. So, and the reason for that is they're just turning it over way more. Exactly. Um, when turnovers and shot clock violations right. basically go way up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're, you're telling the players they can't shoot in mid range. Yeah. Basically. Um, so now okay so uh so like i think this is a a good example of like um well there's a lot of people on twitter who just think like analytics is saying oh you should shoot more twos, right and like no analysts aren't that stupid right (laughs) like they they write beautiful papers like this that actually have a lot of nuance (laughs) and and understand that like no you can't just jack threes because there's a lot of consequences to not not shooting twos right yeah so um yeah, that that's like a stupid straw man that these anti-analytics people yeah, have, exactly. have built. Um, but so yeah, there's nuance in here. Yeah, and um, and they do so one one caveat, and this is kind of going along the same policy where um, you might think like, okay, they're setting this up like an RL problem. Um, what's stopping them from basically saying, let's like like try to learn what the best policy is? Right, right. We have a transition matrix, like what set of like when should our players shoot given this transition matrix can we learn what like the unoptimal policy is for a team here 
And that, while it would be considered re a reinforced learning, um, I don't think is a very good idea. And they actually kind of bring this up in the paper as well. Um, basically, their concern is that, it, um, and this is quoting the paper, a major change to the team's offensive strategy would naturally lead to different patterns in how the defense responds, and which in turn could render the transition probabilities of our altered transition probability tensor inaccurate. And you can think of this essentially as, like, if suddenly you're drastically changing when you're taking shots, then chances are how you play outside of taking those shots is not super representative of what you would actually be doing, right? Right. So are you saying that like the transition matrices that we use for the simulation yeah. aren't going to be relevant if we do some drastic changes? Yes. So like, like my, my thinking is that they're, they're basing this off of empirical, empirical data. Uh -huh. um, and when you choose to shoot and when you choose not to shoot is tied to how you move the ball when you're not shooting mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. like say you don't like like i'm maybe like let's say you don't go for you don't go for a shot right you're more likely to pass the ball than mm -hmm. maybe dribble right mm -hmm. or there's maybe some correlations there that are, aren't entirely clear mm -hmm. right and what they're basically acknowledging is that and one of the most obvious things that they're talking about is like how the defense plays you when you mm -hmm. change your shot policy is very different mm -hmm. so maybe you do find a policy that works really well mm -hmm. but that may not necessarily be like a suddenly you've cracked the code of basketball mm -hmm, right. and have the ultimate strategy. Because yeah, obviously defense, defense adjusts, plays different yeah, exactly, as well, right? Exactly. So, um, yeah. So basically yeah. there's a lot of like game theory elements in here that you really can't incorporate. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, I would say, can't incorporate in the way that this problem is set up. But I would say given the data, yeah. so given the raw data, like it's not out of the realm of possibility to like make advances toward answering Yes. How the defense responds. There's actually been papers about like ghosting, like where where defensive players should be yeah. on the court. Yeah, interesting. Which is which is fascinating. But once again, this paper is uh, ball handler centric, right? Yes. The state only encapsulates exactly. where the ball handler is. Yeah. Nothing about even his teammates. Yeah. Obviously, not, not, nothing incorporating the defense. So yeah, other than I think their one thing was like, is there defensive pressure? Right. And like, what is considered defensive pressure? Like, you could be like really bad defense mm -hmm. is still defensive pressure exactly right? but yeah it's proximity yeah of a player right so. exactly so, so but but the, again the amazing thing is that even despite this like relatively weak mm -hmm. um state space mm -hmm. they're still able to draw some pretty like interesting insights to this yeah um and like i i, I thought it was i thought it was like really fascinating to see how they're like um like they set this up in a in like this mdp context which isn't mm -hmm. something that that um, I wouldn't be my first thought of how to represent this problem, but it, I think it's super fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I would say like <clears throat> a paper like this is kind of very different than what people discourse about, like on the internet or yeah. in the media about like what analytics yeah, is. Right, like yeah, people yeah. talk about offensive rating, defense rating, whatever, like all in one player yeah. metrics. Right. Yeah. Like this, this kind of uh, is orthogonal to that. It's not really trying to put values on players it's it's answering other questions about the game exactly basketball. yeah um, and, and it should be incorporated into other analyses maybe down the line but, and and i think i think like this idea of it being based off simulation mm -hmm. is something that's huge yeah it's powerful like sure. like the this is something that you see over and over again in in, in like rl related fields um like for example in robotics they'll learn what how to they'll first learn how to do things in a simulator 
and then like transfer that to like mm-hmm. how the actual robot should move, right? Yeah. So like you could like which is why this like NBA two K idea yeah. could like actually be like a legitimate uh-huh. strategy of like learning. This is essentially just a pared down version of mm-hmm. having a high fidelity mm-hmm. simulator mm-hmm. and like having your players like try to figure out how to like tweak it so that you figure out more optimal strategies right. against the other team. Right. But um, yeah. So I, in the paper, I think they they have a couple things about like further things they could explore. Um, I think they wanted to like simulate results of like if you remove a player oh, from yeah. a team. That's like, fascinating. If Kevin Durant's not on the Warriors next next year. Or I mean he's not gonna play, right? So like how how is that gonna change? Or even um, like mid season, right? It like exactly. essentially removes a chunk of columns because mm-hmm. you can't be in those states anymore. Mm-hmm. So you renormalize, re-normalize across everything else. Yep. Right. And you and, see how that how that affects your your like points per points per player or something mm-hmm. like that, Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's interesting, but you would need more, right? Like yeah. you would need more than just the simulator. Obviously, like this is by itself interesting research. You need to obviously attach other yeah. research to make it actionable for a team. But yeah. like you wouldn't know which backups, first of all, are going to take the shots exactly. that Kevin Durant doesn't yeah. take. And if you could renormalize in a weighted way, right? Not just. Well, I don't even know if that's renormalizing, but yeah, it'd be like it'd be like you have to like find some intelligent readjustment, right? And like, not just scale everyone. Yeah, same, right? yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. That that's something that I think is pretty valid. Yeah. Um, some some things I was thinking about were like, can we incorporate like play classification with this simulation? So yeah, so like uh, play classification like. Uh, like it's going to be a pick and roll yeah like pick and roll from like the left side or something um left wing those plays lead to what kind of shot distributions right can can the policy be like like a play policy like play calling policy that would be interesting yeah that that like elevates it's like even a it's a more high level one abstraction layer up right you're tweaking um like the things that create shots right instead of tweaking shots when you just say you can't just say like take less mid range or like shoot more corner threes. Yeah, or, like you have corner to threes. get them into corner three right. positions, right? right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like how does that happen? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. it comes from like plays, right? So obviously the play classification research is it's like there's some there's some stuff there, but yeah, um, basketball is like pretty complicated, so I, <laughs> I don't know how good that stuff is. Um, yeah, any anything else uh, that we missed? Anything we should talk about? Uh... Oh, it's really cool, and I, I would I mean I would love to see this applied to other sports as mm-hmm. well. Like I think this this idea of representing it as as like an MVP is super super fascinating. You could like apply this to soccer. You mm-hmm. could apply this to um, hockey stuff mm-hmm. like that. I don't know if you could apply this to like, something football, but like yeah, football's like pre planned a little bit. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a little bit more static. But yeah, th- this this idea of representing it as an MVP mm-hmm. is like is is pretty pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. I mean, other sports with tracking data. I'd be curious to see if there's any other like exactly, yeah. similar ideas applied. So, uh, cool. Yeah. I mean, th- thanks for uh, taking the time to really think about this paper yeah. and uh, discuss well, it with me. Um, I hope you all, listeners, got something of value from our hour long rambling. Yeah. Um, and but, uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will try to address questions and. Um, if we made any mistakes, definitely let us know. Um, yes, and yes. if you have any suggestions for future papers or future guests, um, also please let us know. Absolutely.
Cool. Thanks. See y'all next episode. Bye. Bye. Hope. Hope. Hope.